You're listening to Grace and Fire, brought to you by Emerging Women. Today my guest is Dr. Neha Sanguin. Dr. Neha Sanguin, CEO and founder of Intuitive Intelligence, is an internal medicine physician, international speaker, and corporate communication expert. Her private practice in corporate consulting focuses on empowering individuals, organizational leaders, and other teams with tools for clear, effective communication. Dr. Sanguin has written a new book, Talk Rx, Five Steps to Honest Conversations that Create Connection, Health, and Happiness. In Talk Rx, Dr. Sanguin reveals practical yet profound communication tools that will strengthen your relationships, reduce your stress, improve your health, and save you time. Dr. Sanguin will also be a featured presenter at the 2015 Emerging Women Live Conference, October 8th to the 11th in San Francisco, California. In today's episode, Neha and I spoke about desire, the importance of clarity and the positive expression of what we want, how to change conversations with people who are not clear, Vocalizing what we value and acting in alignment with our values, Neha's two-step decision-making tool, and finally, her idea of rewriting history, the importance of being vulnerable, and how truth is always the answer. Here is part two of my conversation, Talk Rx, a prescription for connection, health, and happiness, with the honest and wonderful Dr. Neha Sanguin. Okay, welcome back, Neha. Oh, it's so good to be here again. Now, you are visiting your parents right now. Where? What state are you in? New York. You're in New York. In, okay. Yeah. Are you on Long Island or? Oh, no, I'm in Buffalo. We live in, I live right outside New York in Williamsburg, oh. um, but my parents live in Buffalo, so we're, the whole family's out. So you've got like, this is a perfect opportunity to practice a little talk RX. <laughs> Family is always the perfect opportunity to practice communication skills. And you have like, it's your, you said your parents' wedding anniversary or? Yeah, 50th. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Well, in our first part one, we talked about your five step process, which I think you call the I-5? Yeah, the I-5 conversation. The I-5 conversation. And maybe we should just like quickly summarize the five parts and then just for the listeners that might be coming in for the first time, even in on part two, and then we can dig into the part two of our podcast. Sure. Well, the whole premise of the I-5 is that it's five steps to having not just conversations, but honest conversations. Um, And I think that's where people get a little stuck. So I've broken it down into five parts. And the first part is your body, basically how our senses help us pick up information from the external world while we are simultaneously getting information from our internal world, like our heart racing, stomach turning, all of that stuff that also is giving us information. And sometimes those two things are not in sync, right? So I'm saying yes, but my stomach's dropping. 
So that's the body section, which is how do you take in data from the outside world and inside world and have it sync up. And when it doesn't, what do you do? So that data takes us to the second part of the I-5 conversation, which is your thoughts. So if I um, am in a room and I'm talking to you and my data, my eyes tell me that you just get up and leave in the middle of a conversation, that's data that I would pick up. Well, I'll make up a thought about it. I'll decide that it means, you know, you're not feeling well. I'll decide that it means you don't like me. I'll decide all sorts of things. So the second step is around the thoughts we make up uh, once we've observed the data from our body. And then depending on which thought I believe, if I think that you're not feeling well, it leads me to step three, which is an emotion. So if I think you're not feeling well, I might feel an emotion of concern or um, worry uh, for you, for your health, how you're feeling. Now, if the thought I made up was that I don't think you like me or thought that our conversation was very interesting, then the emotion that might come next is disappointment, you know, sadness, uh, feeling upset, right? So you start by picking up data on your body. Second is you create thoughts around what it means. The third step is, depending on which thought you commit to or believe, you have an emotion. And the fourth step is it then leads you to have a desire, like a want. You might, I might want to get up and leave the room and see how you're doing. I might want to run out of the house and say, oh, you know, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. Uh, I might get curious. I might want to be curious, like, hey, what happened? Right? So it leads to step four, which is desires. Uh, and then step five is when you've integrated body, thoughts, emotions, and desires, you take some sort of action. And so that's the fifth step. So is that clear? Yeah, I think it's great to just summarize that. What we want to talk about is the last two of those, because I think especially with women, it's mm -hmm. so hard when we get to that desire, like what do we actually want? We can spend a lot of time in the awareness zone about our bodies and our thoughts and our feelings, and then when we get to what we want, and I don't know if this is just millenniums of not being able to articulate what we want or not having the freedom to do so, or that we're just naturally so geared and wired towards the other that, yeah. you know, that just is a is kind of a hard thing for us to nail down. So I would love to start there and hear what you think and what kind of actions we can take and practices to get to the root of that desire and really fully articulate what it is that we want. What are the outcomes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really, really important because if, if people don't know what they want, I mean, there's a lot of people who spend time really upset that someone else hasn't given them, you know, what they wanted, even though they never told them what that was, right? So yeah. I've definitely been guilty of dating someone and wishing that they would do something or, you know, show up in a certain way on Valentine's Day or whatever it is. But by the way, I never articulated that that was something that was important to me. So I think it's not only knowing what you want, but it's also having the confidence to say it out loud Yes, and, and really be willing to express it and get clear uh, within ourselves as well as with each other. So yeah, let's definitely start there. The premise around uh, desires really is that they're based on what we value. So the, that's a, it's a great place to start, which is a, a really simple way that I do this is have you bring to mind somebody that you really admire, right? Because people will say, I don't know, values are such a big thing. I don't know what I value. I value a lot of things. Well, 
there's definitely, you may value lots and lots of things, but it's important to come up with, you know, your top five, your top ten, so that there's, there's a way that you can, these guide your decisions whether you know it or not. So I would have you just bring to mind someone who, you know, you really, really admire, and you don't have to tell me who it is, um, but c- can you bring someone to mind? Yes. Okay, great. So just tell me three qualities about that person that you really admire. Uh, they're super creative. Um, mm-hmm. They're, uh, I would say, modern at the cutting edge. My person yep. is, is Martha Graham. This is one of my idols. And um, mm. just she's uncompromising but graceful at the same time. Wow. So what's incredible about that is she's, she's this vision in the world for you of someone you admire and value, right? Yes. Yeah. But what you've just done as well is really quickly and easily pinpointed some of your highest values. So these are, these are probably principles that you are the most proud of yourself when you show up as super creative, as, you know, uncompromising but graceful. You know, right. the, the words that you use to describe someone else, we might as well use that for women, right? We're so other-focused. Let's use that and help us get clear about what we value most. Yeah. Love so it. I just think of that as a really simple exercise that people can, can begin uh, getting clear about what they want. Another one is that I, I think people are... Uh, women are very clear about what they don't want, right? The brain is hardwired to, you know, avoid pain and seek pleasure. And so we're really clear about the times when we felt burned or we felt like we felt rejected or we felt like we didn't get what we wanted. Those are blazed in our memory, right? Or we got right. feedback that didn't uh, resonate. Uh, not that it didn't resonate, but it felt like it was more critical. So people will say things like, I don't want to lose my cool. Well, you know, when I ask them what they want, they'll say, oh, I don't want to get sick. You know, uh, I don't want to go to another wedding alone. I don't want to end up in my career and not have made a difference. Uh-huh. So do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. I'll ask them what they want, and they will list all the things that they don't, desperately do not want. Okay. Yep. Guilty of that myself. <laughs> so... I think probably the next step would be to really, once people get really clear about what they value, right, then it'll help to help lead them to what they want. And as they begin to craft what they want, start thinking through, do you, are you clear about what you don't want or what you do want? So let's, let's take a couple of those examples and let's just turn them around, right? So if I say, I don't want to lose my cool, well, what I might really be saying is, you know, when I'm disappointed, I'd like to be able to express myself clearly, right? Because you can't yeah. really stop yourself from For getting sure. upset, but you certainly would hope that if, if you are disappointed that you could articulate that clearly. Right. Um, or, you know, I don't want to get sick. So if we flip that around, it would be, I want to be yeah. healthy. Now, tell me, right? what is your view on switching that around? Like, is it just, is the value in the absolute clarity or is the value in kind of leaning more towards a positive articulation of the value? Do you know what I'm saying? Like where, or is it both? It's really both. It's yeah. both because when you can envision something and you can envision it clearly, you will move in that direction. And in the craziest way, I mean, I find, and this is my own belief system, uh, I just find that the universe comes together to support me in that. 
So as, as I get the clearer I get, the more miraculous my world becomes, right? Yeah. Um, as soon as I set my intention on something. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's important to, when, when, when I say I don't want to get sick, right? All I'm really focused on is sick. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get sick. When I say I would like to feel strong in my body, I would love to be able to run five miles three times a week. I would like to win a race, whatever it is. There's a bit of um, guided imagery imagery that really helps align your entire physiology and your beliefs in that direction. Yeah. You know, it's used in the Olympics a lot, right, with how, how divers, you know, basically have a perfect 10 dive. Well, they don't. They don't do it by look at, hoping everybody else is messing up or worried that they're, you know, they're, they themselves are going to mess up. What they do is they just keep envisioning over and over again what a perfect dive with little splash in the water feels like, looks like, would be like until their body creates it. Sure. Right? So I think it's a bit of imagery. I think it's a bit of, you know, getting really clear on the vision. And because I can say, I don't want to get sick. And... Even if I have low energy, you know, and I'm kind of functioning, like, I, I'm not really sick, but I'm not this picture of health either. So the better I can articulate and describe it specifically, the clearer uh, I, it will take me to my goal. Right. Now, in terms of communicating with another in, in a, well, let's say a courageous conversation, um, right. how would having more of the positive articulation of your desire be more effective in making things smoother and more harmonious? Yeah, so this is really important. So getting clear about what you want is in, in a few different categories. The first is if you and I are having a conversation, and let's say you're my sister, and when we, you and I come together, I tend to get defensive, Right, because we're speaking. We at the beginning of the show, we were talking about family. Yes. Right? So, the first level of want is how I would like to show up in this conversation. So, let's say every time we talk about where the family's going to vacation or whatever it is, you and I tend to disagree. So I come in and I'm closed. I'm defensive, uh, defensive, and I'm guarded. My first level of want in a conversation with somebody else is how do I want to show up in this conversation myself? So I hope that this time I'm hoping for a new outcome. So I will show up as open, curious, um, and honest, right? So I want to be honest, compassionate, open, and curious. So that's the beginning of how you set the stage, which is taking accountability for yourself. Right. Now, the second piece is when I know what I want, let's say, let's say that um, I highly value warm weather vacations because one of my highest values is um, play, um, competition, and athletics. And so when the family is together, I feel really connected to everybody. When we get to golf, we get to walk on the beach, and we get to play tennis, right? Right. Now, if I understand what I value and what I want – which is a warm weather vacation because it allows me to feel really connected to the family uh, and stay engaged rather than go in my hotel room and work, right, which is my default that happens when I don't feel as connected and engaged. Uh Then when I'm negotiating with you or having a conversation with you, it's really important that when 
I say, hey, can we go to, you know, can we go south for our vacation rather than going maybe skiing or something else, right? If I'm asking for whatever it is, I can say I have the room to negotiate because I'm very clear about what is underlying it that's important to me. So if you suggest something else, I can find a middle bridge of creativity and expansiveness where you and I can meet if I know that what I really want is connectedness on this trip. What I know I want is some way that we can play together. You know, I may have ideas of it being, you know, on a sports field, you know, some sort of sport, sporting event. But you may say, wow. So you, I would say the most important thing to me is that we get to play, that it's like a game, and that we all feel connected. Can you help me think of other ways that that yeah. could be possible in the scenario you're suggesting. Exactly. Now, here's my question. So here we are doing our work and we're getting clear on our desires and we're getting super specific and positive and we're articulating, but we may not be speaking with somebody who's going through the same program. Yeah. And how do we find out what they're desiring if they're not clear? Because I find myself often in that situation where we're talking with somebody who doesn't have the communication background or who hasn't read your book cover to cover um, right. and is not putting a lot of these practices in place and their desires are murky as well. Is there a way to kind yeah. of bring that out or are there clues and signs to, to get to a knowing at that level? Yeah, so I say several times in the book that it only takes one person to change the outcome of a conversation and that person is you. And the reason is curiosity is going to help the other person get clear, like saying things like, um, you know, me saying I'd love to have a beach vacation or do something here with the family and somebody else really, really committed to doing something else. If I can notice that I'm reacting in my body, that I have these thoughts that she's just kind of doing this to make me mad, you know, whatever it is, that if I'm really aware of what's happening for me, what I do is I shift into curiosity and I'd say something to you like, what's important? Instead of me saying, no way, this is what I want to do, right? And digging in, what I do is I get really aware of myself and then I say, wow, it sounds like you'd like to do this, whatever it is that they just said. Help me understand, like, what's important about that to you? Like, what, what is it that would make this a really meaningful experience for you? And as soon as I'm aware of myself and I shift into curiosity, I can actually ask the questions like, what do you value about that? What did you really enjoy about the last time we did X, Y, and Z, right? So there's a way that I can show up in a space of curiosity in order to help this other person figure out what's happening. Or in a conversation with somebody else, if I realize that I, I, I heard what they observed and what they thought and how they're feeling, but they haven't told me what they desire or what action they'd like to take, me as the person understanding these five steps gets to say, so tell me what you, what do you want and what would you like to do next? Yeah. So it, you even knowing the framework allows you to know. I mean, if, if somebody knows, like, underneath wants is what someone values, then when you're listening to the other person, listen for what they value. Yeah. Right? Oh, it sounds like it's really important that we're around your high school friends. You know, it sounds like we're really, it's really important that we're at a ski lodge for you. Like, what is it about a ski lodge that is really important to you? Right? So whatever that is, you want to just get curious and be able to listen deeper for values. And then even if the other person doesn't know, 
how to use this framework, it is incredibly powerful because you, as the person who does understand communication on a different level, you can ask the right questions to bridge you. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. One more thing I was thinking about. You, yeah. you were asking how, how does knowing what you want help you in conversation? So let's just say that, that the whole idea of, you know, you and I going on a hike together came up. So, hey, you know, would you, would you like to go on a hike? And, and let's say uh, you say, you know, Neha, um, I'm not really sure if I can go on a hike uh, this weekend because, you know, I have company coming over and, you know, something else is going on for you. I could get back to you later. Well, if there's something in me, in, in the clarity of knowing what I want, I have to get really clear in that moment. I can either feel rejected and say, oh, Chantel doesn't want to do this with me. You know, I knew it and come up with a whole bunch of stories. Or I can get really clear about what I value and what I want. Do I want, A, to go on a hike really badly and see some beautiful new hike that I haven't done? Is that what I value the most? Or B, do I value spending time with you? And if my greater intention is to spend time with you because I haven't seen you in a long time, and I'm not really, my want, my deepest desire is not about the actual hike, it's about spending time with you, then my next question in our conversation can be, you know what, Chantal, it sounds like that's going to take quite a while. I really miss, you know, your friendship and, and spending time with you. You know, what if I came over and just helped you get ready for whatever you were doing? I would be really willing to help you go grocery shopping, help you come over and get the whole place ready. I love that stuff. So I can change the conversation if I'm really clear about what it is underneath it that I value most. Right. That's super powerful. And, and especially, you know, I think, again, for women, really getting clear about desires and, like you said, values. Um, because the values are, they're in the moment and they're specific, but they're actually, aren't they tied to like a larger set of values? I remember just going through this with the uh, Steve Covey habits program and just really like taking time to identify the meta values. Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about in every moment figuring out? So it's both, right? Um, my highest values, right? My highest five values are love, integrity, service, beauty, and play. Mm. And so how those are like my overarching yeah. um, values. But how I define each one of those, there's a whole cascade of values that go under each one of them that makes it unique to me, Got right? It. And that I use on a day-to-day basis. Right. So I had a lot of resistance around value and beauty in the beginning. I was like, oh, that is so superficial. Like, I don't that's not something that would be one of my highest values, except when I I spent one week and just defined everything in the world I thought was beautiful from nature to, you know, my hair being well done to a child being honest at dinner, like all the things that I thought were beautiful. Right. And by the by the end of the week, it was so clear to me that beauty was one of my highest values, mm. but it was how I defined it. Mm. So there's a day-to-day component, and then there's the overall component of it, right? And that's a, it's a deeper discussion, for sure. I mean, in the beginning, it's the way that you figure out what you value is how we did that exercise on who you admire and why. That's an easy, quick way. Yeah. Um, another way to do it is... Think back on some of the most meaningful experiences in your life when you were the most touched 
And as you tell those stories to somebody or as you journal about them, pay attention to what made it so important. Yeah. Right? And and that's a that's a, a quick way to do it. But I do think we change, you know, I, I joke and say I change every decade. It seems like I fine-tune it every decade, mm-hmm. um, five to ten years. And then um, I think as I've gotten older, it's changing less and less. Well, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So just a personal uh, – but I think if, if, if people aren't yeah. clear, it won't take them long because – you just got to think about some of the most meaningful people and experiences in your life. And then, you know, yeah. I, I actually wrote a whole list of values. It's by no means comprehensive, sure. but um, it's a good start. Uh, but in, in the whole section on desires, I call it the values vocabulary list to get people, you know, just get them started. Right. Well, so now we have desire, we have our values. And another, I think, thing that women struggle with is actually putting that into action and asking for what they want. And you spend a lot of time on this in the book. And I want to, you know, both men and women may have this, but I know that women struggle with actually vocalizing and, you know, are we being too demanding? Hey, I don't want to impose on somebody. I have this internal desire that I've recognized. Now, how do I actually develop the courage to ask for it? And I'm curious to see if you can talk a little bit on that. Yeah, I mean, I think once you get clear about what you value, um, there's something I call the two-step decision-making tool, Mm -hmm. which is essentially that when an idea comes from within you or from outside of you, like someone presents an opportunity to you or asks you to do something, or you come up with your own idea, either way, if you know what you value, your top values, I, I basically take your hand and kind of spread apart your fingers, right, and, and do it horizontally, and then put another hand and put it vertically right on top of that so it looks like a little filter. Uh-huh. I call that your values filter test. So the first question you ask yourself when someone asks you to do something or you want to ask someone to do something is the first question you say is, does this pass my values filter test? Does this opportunity or desire, is it something that I would align with? And I think sometimes we actually miss that when we get caught up in the moment, whether it's love, whether it's an opportunity, whatever it is, we don't really say, does this pass my highest values test, right? Right. Highest values filter. The second uh, question, and so if the answer is no, then you don't do whatever this is. You're already done. But if it does uh, pass your highest values test, then the second question is, does it give me energy or drain me of energy? Oh, such a good question. Yeah, because this is where women get in trouble. Because if it does pass their values filter test, but it drains them of energy, mm-hmm. then I put that in the maybe category because that's more of an obligation than inspiration. And if it passes their values filter test and it gives them energy, now you're talking inspiration. Now we're in a different realm, and it's time to take action, right? right. And if, if there, it's not like you always have to do everything that, you know, completely inspires you. It's true that living life, there's some things that are obligation that, you know, probably don't give you that much energy that need to get done. But pay attention to how many decisions in that arena you're taking on. Right. If if you're filing all of them and they're saying, yeah, it passes my value filter test, but you know, it drains me of energy, and you see that a majority of your decisions are going there, you're going to have the answer to why you're feeling low energy. Right. 
So in the, in the, in the, how do you overcome that fear to taking action? One of the, one of the most important things is paying attention to self versus other, right? And that whole obligation piece of it is oftentimes when it's for someone else, but not really for your own heart, right? Right. It doesn't inspire your own heart. So the two-step decision-making tool is kind of how I start to decipher that for myself, um, where it can get confusing. And if people don't know whether things give them energy or drain them of energy, you have to pay attention to your own physiology, your own body. Like, for me, I know because I can feel it kind of moves through the middle of my chest and into my throat and into my head. I can feel an energy of excitement. And it's like a little bit of a tingling feeling. And I know that, oh, wow, this really, I'm jazzed about this, right? Yeah. And the draining almost feels like the lower half of my body. It feels like sinking, Mm. like almost like quicksand a little bit. Yeah, It feels like my stomach starts sinking and I say yes, yes is coming out of my mouth, but like that sinking feeling's happening inside. And that's the draining uh, for me. But each person yeah. will have a unique, a I, unique okay. way. I feel it in my heart. I feel a very mm. big weight in my heart. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. It's so good to identify that. Yeah, you have to. You have to know that so that, and just spend one week paying attention to all the interactions, people, tasks, places that you go that give you energy and, you know, and that drain you of energy. Just keep a little tally of it. Oh, by the end of the week, there's some serious patterns. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. The, now you, the other thing you were asking about were, you know, how do you overcome the fear of actually taking action once you decide what it is that you want to do? Right. And I, I think that the most important piece to this is, you know, a lot of people want to look perfect. Like their whole life has been about making sure that the whole world thinks that they're perfect. I have a saying, which is, you know, everything's renegotiable. So Mm -hmm. you can do a take two on anything. So if I want to take a risk and go outside my comfort zone and my physiology, my body, my heart's going to start racing, I'm going to feel scared, you know, whatever it is. Um, Knowing that I have the capacity to say, hey, Chantal, I really didn't like how our interaction went yesterday. Would it be okay if I tried it again? Oh, God, I love it. Yeah, I love it. It takes the pressure off. Like, why do we have to be perfect the first time around? First of all, we aren't perfect. (laughs) It's such a funny, you know, it's such a funny rule to try and, you know, measure up to. Right. Um, but the, the piece around everything's renegotiable has, has given me a lot of grace for myself. Right. I know. And you know what? I think that I've done that too, um, which is why I appreciate the very last little few pages of your book, the old revisioning, um, what do you call it? Something about revisioning, which... Oh, uh, like rewriting history? Rewriting history. <laughs> it's such a great example of that, of like, yeah. you know, we're just using role-playing in a way also I love it to prep for conversations that are you know require more courage but also to like redo and you know recreate the history I'm always so open to that and I think that when I've done that to somebody else I do this with my husband and I do this hey can Mm. we do this over and whenever he asks for it or I ask for it it just oh it's so lovely and it creates such an intimacy it really does. It's almost like if we knew that from our mistakes that we made would come right in the take two of it all, would come yeah. the greatest intimacy and connection and learning and growth, you know, would we be so afraid 
to go for it and make those mistakes because what comes afterwards is so beautiful. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's the um, the danger of, you know, some like talk programs or like, I know that there's a few out there that are fantastic, like um, Nonviolent Communication with Marshall Rosenberg and yours mm-hmm. is certainly very comprehensive and a different, very different approach, but equally in, in my view, very effective. But I, there is this, I've always felt like, oh my gosh, now what do I do now? And oh, like, okay, now I have to say this. And I think that, you know, to have that opportunity to just say, you know what, I'm not going to get this right. And I'm trying this out. So hang with me and just be really open about it. I think that that is just so lovely. And I really appreciate that angle in your book. You know, it's so true. Like the the answer is always the truth, right? So if if I want to have a conversation with you and I didn't like how something went, but I'm feeling awkward about it, me saying like, hey, I'd like to try this again. I feel really awkward right now. In fact, my stomach's turning um, and I'm going to try it anyway. And then please tell me how, you know, give me some feedback on how I did. Um, It's like the other person is so willing to give us, you know, this openness and grace most of the time when we just share that we're doing something that's uncomfortable for us. Yeah. You know, so I just say, like, the truth is always the answer. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's funny. When I work in companies, that's what I always say to them. Like, they call me in to pay me money to basically get everyone in the room to say the truth. Like, yeah. just say what's on their mind and really say what's up, right? But do it in a way that's loving and compassionate and connected, right, that builds a bridge uh, to one another, so it's, I think honesty has gotten a bad rap in the sense people think it's rude or, you know, it's brutal honesty or whatever it is. I, I really believe that there's, it's what is causing a lot of addiction and disconnection and loneliness and depression in our world that somehow we, we haven't learned how to listen to our hearts, speak the truth, and be able to separate what is ours and what is about our belonging to, you know, other Right, And if we can get really clear about those pieces, it becomes really uh, much easier to sort through it and have those honest conversations and do, you know, these take twos. Let's do a do-over. Yeah. You know, and I just, I don't know. It seems to me that if the world could do do-overs, like, wouldn't it be an amazing place? Like, wouldn't we just be all connected, learning and like laugh at ourselves a little bit more, you know? Oh my gosh, that would be so fantastic. I can think of some Definitely some political decisions that could use a do-over. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the world, it, it, oh my Lord. Yeah. yeah. And the other, the other piece about taking action is when you do take action and you ask for something, um, making sure that you actually have an agreement. Yeah. So I think a lot of people do a he said, she said, you know, dilemma mm-hmm. that goes on because yeah. they don't actually know what an agreement is. Right. And I think it's really important to understand when you have a committed agreement to something or when someone is just merely telling you that they think it's a good idea. Exactly. So, you when, know, so when, when there's a suggestion coming up to really clearly say, do we have an agreement and articulate that before the end of the conversation? Well, it would be um, like just this simple. It would be like... Uh, as simple as you and I, you know, trying to, let's say, you know, go see a movie, right? So if we're trying to see a movie and uh, I ask you, hey, Chantal, would you like to go see a movie? And you say something as simple as, oh, I didn't know that that movie was out already. 
right? You've merely acknowledged that I spoke, but you didn't really give me a concrete agreement, right? Right. All the way up now, if you said, oh, wow, Naya, I've been dying to see that movie ever since I saw the trailer last fall. And I think, oh, she's definitely coming with me. Well, not true. You acknowledged that I spoke, and what you did differently here was you actually showed some interest that you might want to actually do this activity with me, right? Right. But you haven't committed to anything. And then if you said, oh, no, Neha, um, if, I, if I said, hey, would you like to go to the movies, and you said, and I told you specifically which one, right? Um, and you said, yes, absolutely. I have definitely, I've been wanting to see that. And I'm having company come over this weekend, so I need to make sure everything's taken care of at home and the meals are cooked before I you know, leave for a movie. So as long as all of that gets done, I'll be there. Now, what you said is yes, but you've given me all these qualifiers about why you might not actually be there. Right. And you've given me the reason why 10 minutes ahead of time, I would bet, you're going to be the one who flakes on me and texts me and says, go ahead without me, I'm not done yet. Right. Right? So, or if you just say, if I say, hey, Chantal, you want to go see you know, the movie this weekend, the new James Bond movie, and you say, yes. Right. I bet you our weekend is going to be, I'm a busy woman, you're a busy woman. I bet you we'll see each other at the gym next week and we'll say, oh, we were supposed to go to the movies. We definitely got to get that on the calendar, right? The only time we actually have an agreement is when you and I say we're going to the Embarcadero Theater at 1 o'clock for the matinee show this Saturday. Like, I'll meet you there. And we have a yes and details confirmed. Right. It's that clear. So anything before that yes, details confirmed, is still an agreement in negotiation. So even if you say to someone, so, hey, do we have an agreement? And somebody says, yeah, we definitely do. But you haven't set the time or place or, you know, you haven't really put the details around it. You actually don't have an agreement. Right. So in, in, it, sometimes when women ask for what they want, but they're a little bit scared to put it out there, right? Yes. Like, I'd really like to spend time with you, you know, but I won't, I won't nail it down. Like, I'd love, to go, I'd love to go away for a three-day weekend. I'd love it to be you and me. And I'd love us to hang out and do what we used to do in college, you know, go mountain biking and whatever it is, right? Unless I'm really clear about what that is, it often leads to two people having a very different idea about what the action is and disappointment um, at the end, which is you might bring two friends and I really thought it was going to be me and you because we were roommates in college and I really wanted to have like a reminiscing, you know, weekend with me and you, but I never really said that. Right. Right. And so the clarity of what you want and then how you take action and really kind of solidify the details will determine how, um, you know, how well it works for you. And listen, there's always feedback and renegotiating. So yeah. if, it, if it doesn't work, you get to say, you know what, what worked about it for this time for me was this, and next time what I'd really love to do is this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not, it's not the end of the world if, if it doesn't, you know, actually happen. Right. But um, it gives you information. Yeah, and I just think your whole approach is about practice, practicing. Yeah. And I, I say to my, I say to anyone who's saying like, oh, this takes a lot of time or it's hard or whatever, I, think, I say, how many times a day do you communicate with people from one-word answers to hour-long talks? Yeah. An awful lot. Mm-hmm. So getting good at getting what you want because you're a clear communicator uh, 
at whatever point in your life you decide it's important, the rest of your life will, you know, exponentially get better. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on at what level, at what point in your life do you want to invest in communication. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, for me it's just been personal freedom. I mean, I had such a hard time with this. I had all the education in the world. You know, I didn't get out of school until I was 31 years old. But nobody ever really taught me um, really what was going to give me connection and happiness, you know, and really decrease my stress levels. So I guess I'd say the connection, health, and happiness. Yeah. Like, once again, I feel like the work here is it's really about creating intimacy and harmony with people that we work with, people that we live with. And this is like a very clear roadmap. Well, thank you so much for your time, Neha. And we're looking forward to having you at Emerging Women Live in San Francisco. More Talk Rx to be had. Ah, I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Okay, well, we'll see you soon. All right, thanks, Chantal. Take care. Bye-bye.